So to answer the question that's on everyone's minds this morning before we start up, um, the answer is uh, no. Uh, Drew and I do not text one another to see if we're going to wear black pants in a denim jacket. Um, the truth is we have a running Google document as to what to wear each day so we can match. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I want to start this morning with one of my favorite sermon illustrations. And uh, it's one that I told in one of the first few weeks gospel community held worship services. And I hope, so, so many of you have probably heard this one, um, uh, because we all know that once you hear a sermon, you can never forget it. So you, you, you already know this one. But um, I hope that it's okay with you that I, that I share it again this morning. Um, it seems fitting not only to share it on my last Sunday, um, but it seems very fitting given the passage that the Lord has for us this morning. So I'm going to share it again. Mother and a boy are <laughs> in the kitchen. They just finished making uh, cookies before bed. Um, and these aren't the break and bake kind of cookies. These aren't the no bake kind of cookies. These are the flour, sugar, everywhere, because you're baking with a child kind of cookies. <laughs> the kitchen's a mess. But they are a perfect bedtime snack uh, with a cold glass of milk. This warm, gooey cookie would be delicious. It's the stuff that kids and dentists dream of, right? <clears throat> so the mother asks the child, as, as cookies are cooling, they just came out of the oven, they're on the cookie rack, and uh, the mother asks the child, hey, um, would you go to the back porch and would you grab the broom? We need to start cleaning up in here um, before we eat this delicious treat. And when she asks this, the boy freezes in his tracks. He stops that very instant. I mean, the back porch, that was, the back porch is cold. It's cold and it's, it's full of stuff. There's, there's boxes, there's, there's, there's windows everywhere. It's dark outside. There might be a, a weed whacker, uh, you know, one shoe. Uh, this, this back porch is full of stuff. It is cold out there. It's full of windows and it's dark. The back porch, this catch-all that so many of us have, some of us in drawers, some of us in rooms, some of us in houses, some of us in cars. This back porch was scary for this young boy. After a couple of seconds of hesitation, uh, the boy asks his mother, hey, mom, you said God is everywhere, right? Is that true? She responds, well, of course God's everywhere. God is most certainly everywhere, and God is always with you, my son. Hearing this, the boy, the boy corrals some courage, slowly walks over to the, the door that leads to the back porch, pauses for just a second, and he opens it just a crack. He steps as close as he can to the doorframe. He closes his eyes and reaches a hand in as if to grab the broom and the words come out of his mouth, hey, God, it's me. Hand me the broom. <laughs> Presence. Presence. It's not wasted on me that the passage we're going to look at is the passage that really focuses on presence. It's not wasted on me because obviously after today, um, your presence with me, my presence with you will change drastically. It will evolve 
I'm sure that many of you, we will stay connected in some way, shape, or form. Others of you, life will happen and we'll, we'll grow disconnected. Um, <clears throat> but our physical presence with one another will change. And oddly enough, that's exactly what we're focusing on today. We're focusing on practicing God's presence. Because thankfully, God's presence doesn't ever leave. Today, we're going to look at what James has to say about practicing God's presence in various issues, situations, and circumstances of our life. These are James' parting words in his letter. How fitting that I get to remind you of them this morning. So let's pray one more time because Aaliyah did a wonderful job, but she prayed for me, and this is not about me. I do not want it to be about me. I do not think that you would make it about me. That's not who you are. That's not how I know you to be. But, but I'll, let's make sure that we are prepped. This is not me praying because you did a bad job. I was planning to pray no matter what. Okay, it's written right in there. Pray one more time. So whatever you're believing about yourself, those lies are not true. Get behind me, Satan. Let's pray one more time and let's get into it. Jesus, we need your help today. We need your help that we might fall more in love with you. That we might fall more in love in who you've called us to be. And that Jesus, plain and simple, that you might increase in us this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's get right into the scripture. James 5. couple verses, beginning in verse 13. There's a Bible under many of your seats. If there's not a Bible under your seat and you want one, I would ask your neighbor's permission before you reach down between um, their, their legs and grab a Bible. But there are Bibles, if not underneath you, they'll be next to you. Um, if you want to keep said Bible because you need it, I've said it a thousand times before. I can't say it to you again, so I'm going to say it right now. The Bible is the number one most stolen book in the world, and we want to keep it that way. So feel free to take the Bible with you. If you'd rather... See, it's not even funny anymore. I've said it so many times. You guys are like, meh. (laughs) By the time I'm done today, you're going to be like, get out of here, Nate. We don't even. It'll also be on the screen. James 5, beginning of verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, for the last month, we have been walking through the book of James, where this brother of Jesus has been working through what spiritual maturity, what practically living our faith looks like. And he's doing so without being legalistic. This is the important part. That's the, kind of the undercurrent of this book, is that faithfulness, practically living your faith, spiritual maturity, really has nothing to do with legalism. Remember, James is writing to a, a, a church of Christians who were once members of the Jewish faith. A Jewish faith which had many, 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 many laws. So he's pushed back on that. Not giving specific action steps to define a believer because that's just another form of legalism, but instead focusing on character and integrity, worldview, perspective on creation. And then now, all of a sudden, in the end of his letter in chapter 5, we get this step-by-step how-to list when it comes to certain situations. I don't know if you caught it, but when I read it, I was like, this doesn't seem to fit with the rest of James' writing. It almost seems out of place. It feels kind of legalistic, doesn't it? 
James hasn't been a micromanager with practically living the faith up until this point. He didn't say, if this happens, do this. If this happens, do this. If this happens, do this. But all of a sudden here, it's exactly what he's doing. What happened? Do we really need to be told something so easy, Jesus? Do we really need to be told something so elemental? Do we really need to be told something so straightforward and dare I say basic as to pray when you're suffering or to sing praise when you're happy? Could that be all that James is getting at here? A faithful playbook for how to respond to different situations in life. Is that it? Well, I contend that's not what James is getting at here at all. And with that being said, there is not a a set of pastoral admonitions that are more beneficial for us to carefully observe. So while it's not about the specifics, these specifics are worth pouring over. I mean, if you got to pick a path, if, if I had to pick a passage to preach as my last sermon to all of you, with all of you, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the exact passage that I would have handpicked because it's that important. Now you're thinking, Nate, didn't you pick this passage? Well, yes and no. Um, The passage was on the schedule far before I knew what January 30 would hold for us. Yet in God's divine providence, the creator once again knew exactly what he's doing. Now, as many, if not most of you know, um, in my sermons, I oftentimes will like to build tension. I like to create some tension. I like to keep the significance of the passage somewhat hidden until the, the... Later on in the message, when we've had a chance to unfold it, to, to sift through things, and we, we kind of find what God is doing and what God is saying together, right? You're familiar with this. We find this meeting together. Well, this morning, I, I'm, I'm going to offer you some mercy because I've played enough preaching games with you all. This morning, I'm going to cut directly to the chase. I'm, I'm not going to beat around the bush. There's no bait and switch for emphasis, no tricks, no gimmicks to convey the truth and make sure it sticks with you a little longer than it would than if it just you know, was on TikTok and you scrolled past it. No, this morning, I'm going to tell you that in this passage, the significance of James 5, 13 through 16, is revealed in a question you can ask yourself. Here's the question. How would you live, and I want you to answer this for yourself internally. Does everyone know what internally means? How would you live if Jesus Christ was with you at all times? Wherever you went? Not casting shame or guilt upon you, but love, divine power. It's always reliable, always available, always attentive, forgiving, and supporting you on your faith journey. How would you live? Sub-question, how would that be different than how you live currently, day in and day out? Now, as you think about that, as that rattles around inside of you, if you've even had a moment of feeling shame, if there's something about the way that you live that you, that, that, that's giving you that feeling or choices that you've made that's giving you that feeling, like, like you're appalled at the idea of Jesus knowing something about you um, or something that you do or something that you've done, if you're overwhelmed with guilt about something, when you think through that question, and I've got to tell you, you have a skewed perception 
of your creator, and you've got an understanding of your savior that is wildly inaccurate. If you have any guilt or shame, I've got to let you know that you have a skewed perception of your creator and you have an idea of your savior that is wildly inaccurate. The Lord came because you are loved. The Lord came because you are valued. The Lord is with you, not to shame you, but to love you and give you life abundantly, peace beyond understanding, freedom in Christ, identity hidden away in the Father because of the Son, Jesus Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit forever. This is the reality of our God and thus the reality of us. And so if there's shame or guilt, you need to recognize that maybe we don't fully understand our Creator and our Savior. Our God is not a God of guilt or shame, never has been, never will be. Our God is what they call unmutable. You know what that means? Our God does not change. No, it does not mean that our God does not talk, even though sometimes it feels that way. It means that our God does not change. Never been about shame, never been about guilt, never will be. Our God is a God of deliverance, of redemption, of freedom and love. Mm-hmm. John 3.16, you know it, right? Probably the second most popular verse in the Bible, finishing in a close second to in the beginning, with right behind it, in third place, Jesus wept, right? Did I say that too fast? I know it wasn't that funny, but all right, whatever. John 3.16. Do you want to say it in unison or somebody just want to say it for me? Can I need one person to say it for me. For God so loved the world. Yes. Did. Absolutely. I would repeat that so everyone online could hear it, but y'all know John 3.16 because we all know John 3.16. And if you've never seen it in a Bible, you've seen it in an NFL game on a sign in the stands. You know John 3.16. Here's my question. Do you know verse 17? Does anyone know verse 17? Drew, you may not answer this question because I'm sure you know it. Does anyone know John 3.17? Okay, Barb, you know it too. You didn't for years. If you thought to myself, I have no idea what John 3.17 is. Oh, baby, we can't miss that. Just like Drew's known since he was an infant and Barb said she didn't know for years. We need to know John 3.17. John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through him. See, when I say God's not a God of guilt or shame, I'm not just making it up because I'm putting this really nice bow on Jesus because guess what? It's almost Valentine's Day, so we should focus on love. No, that's not what I'm doing. I'm reminding us of the truths that we know from Scripture, that our God, that our God did not send his son to condemn. Our God did not send his son to shame. Our God did not send his son out of a focus on our guiltiness. Our God sent his son for us to prosper, to be loved, to be forgiven, to be saved, not just forever, but in the present. Do you ever feel like there's, whether it's shame or guilt, or maybe it's boredom or forgetfulness, do you ever feel like in in your daily life, in the moment to moment, oh, I already went off script, this is gonna be trouble. Do you ever feel the weight of the world. And you kind of wonder, like, what am I doing? What, is this God's plan? Do you ever feel like your salvation is for tomorrow, but you're missing your salvation today? John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Salvation is not for forever, it's for today and forward. But that's a whole other sermon that you're not going to get from me right now. 
because I've written enough. God's presence isn't here to condemn you. It's not even here to condemn the world. (laughs) It's not even here to condemn the world that in large part rejects or ignores him, even though too often that's how we view things as Christians, right? No, we say God's presence is for the church, but we see in 317 that God's presence is for the world and it does not condemn nor does it bring shame. God's presence is love. God's presence is love and love changes us if we're willing to receive it. God's presence is love and love changes us if we are willing to receive it. So that shame that you may have felt or that you may feel in the future, that shame can go to hell um, and guilt can get out of dodge uh, because it's God's love that changes us. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Remember, ooh, that's another Bible verse. Boy, oh boy, how quickly we forget all of those truths in our practical living. You don't need to raise your hand, but I would raise my hand if, if we had to show if we forget those truths in practical living our faith. I do. And this is why we see James take the drastic turn from generalities to specifics in this chapter. This is why, this is why it's because we can't possibly fathom the presence of God all the time, everywhere. So James plays it out for us. Plays out what it means for us in the ups and downs of life. Let's just walk through them one at a time. In times of suffering, that's where it started, right? We've all suffered. Maybe you're currently suffering. Is anyone among you suffering? Let them pray. The word here um, in the, the, that we translate as suffering does mean suffering. It means hardship. It means affliction. Not so much as a matter of suffering in general. Not like the day-to-day typical struggles, right? Well, he's not talking about when you wake up in the middle of the night to use the restroom if you're over 30 and you stub your toe. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is not the roller coaster of life, but enduring hardship that comes from an external and sometimes even malicious source. This is intentional suffering of a person or a people, Right? Troubles and trials that are outside of your sphere of control. You ever suffered? If you're suffering right now, pray. When you're suffering, when the circumstances and situations of your life are out of your control, when there are external forces that are impacting your day-to-day life and your faith, weighing you down, stressing you out, when it feels like you have this weight tied to your ankle and there's nothing you can do because you didn't put it there and you don't have the key to unlock it, James' pastoral advice is pray. And don't just pray for your trial to be resolved. No, pray to be reminded of the ever-present nature of our God. Lord, how grateful I am that you're here with me in this mess. How grateful I am that you faced far greater than this. How grateful I am that it is in your weakness that your strength, it is in my weakness that your strength is perfected. How grateful I am that in your presence I can know love fully. I can cast this burden upon you. I can gain strength from you that you might offer me wisdom. Lord, do not let me forget your presence in this suffering. Let me realize I am not alone. That's practicing presence and suffering. That's living the faith practically. Because you see, it is in our very nature to forget the promises, the goodness, and the presence of our God. Think about that for a minute. Is it not in your very nature to forget the promises, the goodness, and the very presence of your God? When you were showering this morning, Lord, please, I hope they showered this morning. If when you were showering this morning, were you thinking about the presence of God? No, me either. And I was going to preach on it shortly thereafter. We forget 
Sometimes intentionally, I don't want to think about God right now, other times unintentionally, we forget about the promises, the goodness, and the presence of our God. Specifically when we're focused on enduring the hardships of our own life. And enduring this life was not God's intention for us. Enduring this life was not God's intention for us. Enduring this life is not living the faith. In fact, enduring this life is barely living at all. Especially when there's presence offered to you. Times of suffering. What about times of happiness then? Is anyone cheerful? Sing. As people of faith, the majority of us fall into one of two categories, I would contend. We are either the believers who, during hardships, during times of trial, uh, we, we are. We pray fervently, man. Like When we're struggling with something, we will pray all the time. But then when things are going well, we, we, we kinda, we kinda, we're good. Right? That's, now, here's the thing. That's the category I fall into. Then there are other ones who struggle with hardships on their own, but then they praise God from the mountaintops when things are going good. That is not one that I understand. This is not my default position. Of those two categories, I'm the one that will pray fervently when things are going poorly. And when things are going well, I'm like, hmm, I got it, right? You know they call that? Pride. It's terrible. Yet Jane but suffering and happiness right up against one another in this passage. Because if we desire to truly live out our faith, if we desire to truly practice God's presence, we must intentionally do both. Praise him in good times and in bad times. We must not forget God in the good times nor the bad times. It's not an either or. You don't get to pick. It's very much a both and. Are you cheerful? Are you merry? Are you in good spirits? Are you annoying to all the people who are not having a good day right now? Things going well for you? Don't forget your God. Recognize those happy times for what they are, a sanctuary of praise. Give God thanks. Recognize and acknowledge God's presence. I feel that sometimes we miss life abundantly because we don't acknowledge God in the good times. We have this underlying belief that we deserve for things to go well. We may not ever say that to anyone else, but in our heart of hearts, there's a little bit of us that believes we deserve for things to go well for us. So when they do go well, it's not a blessing. It's just things are the way they should be. Follow me here? So when things go well, don't live as you deserve it. Don't live as if you deserve it. Because truthfully, you don't. We don't. Instead, in those moments, give thanks to God, praise God, because it's God's presence in those moments, in those moments of our joy that are truly worthy of praise. This is also a great callback to chapter four, where James leans into humility, right? If you believe you deserve good things, it is easy to overlook God's presence in the good. Then all of a sudden, you think you're pretty great as opposed to God. It's really easy to slip into a prideful life when we believe our actions or our understandings are why we deserve good things. And then what happens? We actually idolize ourselves. Think about that. When we don't thank God, when we don't praise God in the good times of our life, we've forgotten our God when we believe that we deserve it or somehow we got ourselves there by our, own, by our lonesome and we forget God's presence that is not only prideful, but it is idolatry of ourself. When we live without humility, we miss God's presence. 
Isn't it interesting that James didn't just say, hey, if you're cheerful, give thanks. No, he, he, he didn't say that. I mean, it sounds like it would suffice, but instead he says, um, are you cheerful? Sing. Giving thanks, keeping the focus on what's most important, it seems, it seems like that would be good enough, but he didn't say that. No, he said sing, praise. Why? Because practically living God's presence is also directly correlated to being a hearer and a doer that James referenced in chapters one and two. It's not just about, oh, things are going well. Thanks, God. Be a hearer and a doer of God's word. Sing, praise, act, practice God's patience, or presence, excuse me, practice God's, I wrote too many alliterations. Practice God's presence actively when things are going well. Okay, so we got times of suffering. We got times of happiness. What was the next thing he mentioned? He mentioned illness. He mentioned illness. Well, Nate, that seems a lot like bad. That seems like it's suffering. Yeah, 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 but it's different. It's different. What about in times of illness? What about when the struggle is health-related? Well, are you sick? Call on the elders of the church. Have them pray over you. Confess to one another. Live transparently with integrity <clears throat> with one another because together we are the body of Christ. Together you represent the presence of God. It's far too easy when we're ill to go through things alone, isn't it? To isolate, not wait, wanting to be a burden on anyone else, enduring once again the lived experience all alone. But the presence of God isn't only tangible through the invisible Holy Spirit or omnipresence of the divine. No, the presence of God is also revealed in his church. The church, which is the body of Christ, the body which is made up of people, believers, which is you and I. Practice this. Be consciously dependent on God's presence. How? He says, Call on your siblings in Christ who are seasoned and mature in their faith. That's what elder means here. Does it also mean the, the, the title in the office? Yes, it does, but it's bigger than that. It's specifically James speaking to those saying, hey, if you're sick, get with those who are already practically living their faith to practice God's presence together. Get connected, seek, confess in humility. Seek and confess in Humility, turn God's presence, the body of Christ, turn God's presence, the body of Christ into a reality when you are ill in your time of need. Does that mean that God will automatically heal you? No, it does not necessarily mean that. God is not a magic elixir for the common cold. But practicing God's presence when ill is a reminder to ourselves and to others that God's presence is more than enough that we aren't alone and that even in our personal afflictions, we don't need to and shouldn't have to endure them alone. It's not how we were designed. Remember, we were made, we were created in the image of God, God who is a triune God, God who is in community with God's self, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's the image of the God in which we were made, not to be individuals, but to be communal siblings in the faith. See, the book of James is simple, but it's not easy. And chapter 5 is no different. We must live out in a practical way the implications of our Christian faith. We must continually live every moment as if Jesus Christ is always present with us. Wherever we go, whatever situation we may encounter, because he is. 
We must live as if his divine power truly is fully available to help us continually because it is. We must remember that God's presence is not a presence that brings shame and guilt. It is a presence that brings self-realization of us and in humility, it supports us on our faith journey. It's love. It's acceptance. It's also redemption and forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration. One of my favorite passages is found in John 16. Um, Jesus' friends are all gathered together and he's dropping hints. He's like, hey, I'm leaving. And if you didn't notice uh, in, this, in the scriptures and the gospels specifically, there are plenty of times where Jesus is like, hey, I'm, I'm about to bounce. And they're like, Psh, no, we don't believe you. They, and they miss it. But this is one of the times where it kind of dawns on them. Jesus is like, I'm going to leave. <clears throat> and their response is like, <gasps> like what are we going to do? Um, <clears throat> I don't know why they turned into Yogi Bear there for a minute. <clears throat> nope, not going to keep making jokes. Um, <clears throat> and they're like, Jesus, you can't leave. What are we going to do? And, and Jesus says, no, 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 it's better for you that I go. Because right now, I'm just here in the flesh. It's better that I go because when I go, I'll send the advocate. I'll send Holy Spirit to be with all of you, in all of you, everywhere, all of the time. Presence. See, you don't want me to go because I'm present here right now. But guess what? I've got a presence that is for far more than just you baker's dozen. I don't know why I didn't just say 12. <laughs> presence. Always with us, never ceasing, never failing. And James ends his letter telling us we cannot fail to practice God's presence in every moment all the time. This is imperative to living out the faith. I'll tell you, these last two years, 2020 and beyond, has really had a way of sucking the joy out of life, am I right? Yeah. Yet James reminds us the quickest route to joyful Living is to actively depend on the presence and power of God at every turn. Because it's here. This is our faith. And practically living that out takes practice. This is why I say practice the presence of God. In my 20s, um, <laughs> words that you're never thinking about saying when you're younger, Back in my 20s, <clears throat> I had the, the pleasure and the privilege of coaching um, basketball <laughs> for many years. Uh, like, I think I was like from 20 till 28, I, I coached basketball before I hung up my whistle to, to carry my Bible more full time. It's true though, <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> and I may have just thrown that whistle out while packing up to move because who needs to keep that crap? Plus, can you imagine the bacteria in that thing? Anyway. <laughs> Coach basketball throughout my 20s. Tons of hours spent in a gym here in West Michigan, but also across the country. I was very fortunate. I coached a lot of traveling teams. We had a lot of success. I also coached high school basketball in Zealand. So, so I spent a lot of time in the gym. Very fortunate. And I never failed every year <laughs> when I would be emphasizing the importance of practice because, as you might assume, high school athletes, they're more uh, game day people. They're not so much like practice people. 
Someone would always say when I'm emphasizing the importance of practice, they'd be like, yep, you're right, coach. Practice makes perfect. And then I would rebut with a Vince Lombardi quote, no, only perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. It was just my way of trying to control the drills and make sure everyone was going hard. But you know what? Neither of those statements are true. Uh, practice does not make perfect, nor does perfect practice make perfect. This is what's true. I know this now. It would have been great to know when I was coaching. No, this is the truth. Practice makes progress. We are all in the experience of life walking a journey of faith where we will make mistakes, we will mess up, we will forget our God, and we will stumble in our faith. But that's the beauty of our God. He offered, he offered perfection in Jesus on our behalf that we might eternally have God's presence. Not just for forever, but for today. It's not just salvation being with God forever. It's being with God now. So we can practice and make progress as individuals, as a community of believers on our faith journey. Your faith has never been about perfection of you. It's about progress of living into the grace and the love of the perfection that's offered us in Jesus. We are not individuals isolated on spiritual journeys where we only cross paths with one another on Sunday mornings. No, we are travelers together with saints that are present with us, saints of yesteryear and the saints of tomorrow that have not even confessed the name of Jesus yet. And all of life should be lived with a focused dependency on God's presence that we share together with God's people in the world. I'll tell you what, don't worry, I'm landing the plane. I'm going to miss this. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm going to miss this. And I'm going to miss most of you, Drew. I'm, I'm going to miss most of you. Mm, we'll see. And while our presence together will be drastically changed from here forward, I'm eternally grateful that this is the last thing that I get to share with you. The last thing that I get to share with you is that our presence with one another is not the same as God's presence with you. I'm so grateful for the fact that when I, when I step off this stage today after the blessing, actually I might even not even be up here for the, that doesn't matter. When I'm done today, and we all leave here after consuming some cake. And our presence with one another changes drastically. I love the fact that it's in my absence and in your absence in my life that we can all be reminded that God's presence isn't like that. So every time I think about one of you or I think about this, this, this church or I think about the process that got us here or I think about the last five years or I think about the last 15 years with being connected with community, our sending church, right? Who, when I think about my, my being raised in this area, when I think about those things and I, and I miss something about those things, I won't miss any of this snow. But when I miss something, that it can be a reminder to me about how God's presence is still with me, always with me and still with you and always with you. And I can practice that and make progress in my walk. So practice this, y'all. 
Acknowledge it and try not to forget it. But when you do forget about God's presence, because you will, when you do forget about it, love yourself because that's what's offered in God's presence, love. And hold each other up. Remind each other that God's presence is always with you. It's everywhere. Practice it, make progress that we might all know and mature in the faith. Because that's the goal, right? To love God and to love others as you've been loved. That's the whole goal, to be changed in how we see ourselves and how we see others and how we interact with all creation. God's presence will do that. So let's look at that question again. (laughs) How will you live knowing our God is with you at all times? Everywhere you go, filled with love and power, not shame or guilt. How will you live knowing God is always available, always attentive, forgiving, and supportive in your progress on this faith journey? How will you live?